I was about 18 and I looked into my future. And this was where you could say my life really shifted. And I could see how if I took a left turn, it would have taken, I'd be in a totally different reality right now. But I looked into my future and I saw that I could follow the expected path. I could follow the path that my father wanted for me, society wanted for me. I might be successful by everyone else's standards, but if I didn't have myself, my own sanity, I'd be dead, you know? And, and I saw this unknown path, man, this path of like, I'm being guided in this direction. That's not what's expected. I have no idea what this direction is. I have no clue where this path is taking me, but my soul is nudging me in this direction, which is to leave everything behind. And it was terrifying. And that, the pivotal moment of when I became a man was when I looked into my future and I made a decision that nothing and no one was worth my happiness and freedom. Welcome to Men This Way, the podcast for every man who seeks to live his deepest purpose in life, who's committed to showing up fully and giving his unique gifts to the world. Because if not you, then who? I'm your host and fellow journeyman, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves. Men This Way. Are you still afraid of the consequences of fully living your truth? Are you still living in your father's shadow? Are you aware your partner can't trust you when you don't own your truth, even if your truth is inconvenient to your partner? Well, in this episode, my guest, the electric Coot Blackson, and I dive into these questions and more for useful insights to make a meaningful difference in your life. Coot is a lightning rod for truth and inspiration. Coot grew up the son of an African Ghanaian preacher. Is it Ghanaian or Ghanaian? I never know. Whose religious empire encompassed over 300 churches across Ghana. And he shares in this episode the impact of that experience on him as a man. And particularly what happened when he finally denied his father's expectations for him to take over that empire. I first met Coot at a yoga festival eight years ago in Santa Monica, the beach paradise of Los Angeles. And I had the great pleasure to get to know this inspired man over the next few years in the most interesting settings. Like he would show up in a gorgeous black Lamborghini from out of nowhere at a little dinner party at a mutual friend's misty mountain home. Or he'd invite me to a private party at his modern style home in Silver Lake in East Los Angeles where I'd arrive by my lonesome only to be immediately embraced by a diverse group of 50-ish or so people that I'd never met before, dancing blissfully in his spacious living room to uplifting pop tunes. And I remember twice he hosted these massive club events, which he called Lovestock, right in the heart of what occurs to me, generally, as a shallow and disconnected Hollywood scene. And he would have these utterly uplifting all-day parties filled with bands and performance artists and massage therapists giving out free massages all day and inspired food vendors selling nourishing food. Remember, it was all called Love Stock. And Coot would jump up on stage at times 
and lead what must have been like a thousand attendees in these raucous musical crescendos of, of joy and celebration as we danced our hearts open. And I know that sounds very California, and it is, but Coot is full of surprises. He is also the author of the national best-selling book, You Are The One, and has been featured on Larry King Now, on Fox and Friends, on Dr. Drew. Inc. Magazine calls him the mindfulness guru billionaires go to for advice. And Coot is not just my friend and a man I admire. He is a charismatic visionary, a transformational teacher offering a fresh, bold look at spiritual awareness for the modern world. Coot is truly an electric presence, and I'm excited for this episode today. Definitely stay tuned for Coot's five key takeaways at the end. He absolutely slays the key insight takeaway. That one alone can change your everyday life. So stick around for that at the end of this episode of Men This Way. All right, let's dive. Coot Blackson, my man, so good to have you on Men This Way. How are you? Good to be here, brother. It's been a while. It's great to see you. It's great to be here. Happy to wrap with you today. Yeah, man. Likewise. You know, it has been a while. I don't even know, four or five years or so. Yeah, about a good four years, I think. Good four years, bro. A good four years. Good four years. You know, I don't know if you remember this moment, but I first met you. You were giving a presentation at... uh, our mutual friend Fabian Al Sultani was hosting the Tadasana Festival in Santa Monica, and you were yeah, speaking in the yeah. Daily Love Tent. Yes, and I remember that was my first uh, the first time that I got injected with the Coot Blackson Lightning Juice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to use that for my marketing. The lightning, oh, yeah, please take it, take it, take it. Uh, put it on the put it on the cover of your next book. That's right. But I remember you were just, you know, doing what you do, man, so beautifully. And I remember you invited the audience to interrupt you. You were holding some great crescendo for the end and you invited the audience. Okay, remind me if I forget to tell you this thing. And I remember like <laughs> 10 minutes later, I don't know if you remember that moment. I was like, Coot, don't forget to tell us the thing. Was it you? That was me. <laughs> that was you. That was me, man. Mm. And uh, you kind of like gave me a look and like, all right, I'm getting there. Okay. And, uh, but I just, I just fell in love with you at that time, man. And, and it's just been such a, to get to spend some time with you in the, the few years after and, and now to, to have you back on this program, man, it's such an honor. Yeah. It's good to be. Thanks for having me. Really Absolutely. Appreciate it. So where in the world have you been at least just the last few months? I know you're traveling constantly. You're all over the place. It seems like, and, and so where have you been just the last few months and, and what's been uh, the most exciting thing that you've been up to? I'm in Phoenix, Arizona now, just working. I was last week at the TED conference in Vancouver. Then I was, where was I? I was in Manila. I was in Hong Kong the week before. I was in doing an event in Mexico, Tulum. I have an event space in Mexico and then wow. LA. And so just all over, you know, for these days, my life is really uh, in service. I, I really feel like my life really isn't my life at this stage. Mm. And I reached a certain point in my life where you know, I kind of achieved some interesting things and ticked off some goals and bucket list stuff, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and some superficial things that I wanted to achieve and, and less and less was driven by a certain achievement and more and more my life became about how can I be used in the maximum way possible? And this has been my prayer. Universe, yeah. God, 
use me as fully as possible to impact as many people in the highest way possible. That's my prayer right now. And so my life is not really my life anymore. And so I'm kind of constantly on the road and it's come to an interesting stage, you know, even since we met over the last few years where, where home has, I still do have a place in LA, but home, honestly, I'm, I'm learning how to navigate the entire world as my home, yeah. as my center and not just one physical location. And so, uh, it's been a beautiful process, you know, and I yeah. really feel like, uh, things are just beginning. Yeah. To be I love that. I, I can really relate to that many. That's a prayer that I have spoken often in despair. Um, huh. God, use me. Life, use me. What the hell am I supposed to be doing? I've said that in many a shower over the years when I was, you know, just kind of taking a shower and not knowing what the hell I'm supposed to do with my life. (laughs) Feeling that deep call, knowing that, you know, selling Coca-Cola or insurance or just, you know, moving the furniture around in my prison cell just doesn't cut it for me. Just knowing that, like you said, checking off sort of the tick boxes and, and just a lot of the superficial or the surface stuff, which I'm not against, nothing wrong with all those achievements, but I have always felt that call and that prayer, God, use me, put me to work Got these hands, this heart. I really can relate to that. Yeah. 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 Sometimes we have, we have an idea of, you know, who we think we should be, or we have this idea of, you know, what we think we want yeah. You know, and maybe you achieve everything you thought you wanted. If, if everything aligns, you might achieve all the goals you thought you wanted. But many times you end up reaching a point of dissatisfaction. And I often say that once you achieve whatever you thought you wanted, at some point, how many more of it can you have? You know, how many more of that thing can you taste, experience, achieve? And then you reach a point of dissatisfaction. So I think dissatisfaction is actually a profound sign of growth. Many people try to avoid that feeling of dissatisfaction, numb it, suppress it, shop it, sex it, drug it, yeah. you know, avoid it, whatever it is to not feel the dissatisfaction. And I think the dissatisfaction, once you've attained something, is actually the gateway to the next level. It's the gateway to the next level of your growth, evolution, and what it is that's seeking to happen. So I always, you know, yeah. tell people, feel, feel the dissatisfaction, burn in the dissatisfaction, let it burn away the old, open to it and feel, yeah. you know, so for me, my question more and more has become, yes, use me, universe, use me however you want to use me, but also there's been a shift from what do I want? You know, and I think that's a question in our self-help mm. movement. What do, what, what do I want, which is sort yeah. of the ego's desire. Many times what we think we want, is not really what we truly need or truly what is in alignment yeah. with our highest good. And so for me, the question has shifted more and more over the years to not what do I want, but what is it that is actually seeking to express through me? Yeah. What is it that is, what is life see- seeking to manifest through me? Yeah. And sometimes I don't know, you know, I, yeah. I just know it's not this or it's not That's that right. or it's not what I think it is. And so, you know, even the last years having to, surrender even more surrender 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 so since i've seen you for me the last years have been a profound process in surrendering and i think the more i have surrendered and let go the more the more room there has been for the universe to to manifest itself and manifest this beauty and manifest this magic so i'm i'm along for the ride bro yeah man i really feel like that is the lesson for our age this idea of surrender not from the place of cynical giving up cuz i can't figure this shit out you know sur- 
surrendering to the insanity of life, checking out, but actually surrender yeah. as a pathway to check deeply in yeah. to life, to be fully present with life in partnership. That's the word. That's a word I use a lot these days, be in partnership with life. Mm-hmm. I want to take a step back sure. Coot, and introduce you more to our listeners. Absolutely. Because I know you have a really fascinating origin story <laughs> in, your, in your life. But what I'd love for you to share, we'll start here, is share with us a, a significant event or experience in your early life that played a fundamental role in shaping you in particular as a man? You know, let me back up because I think that my origin story is all connected to what you're saying. You know, I was, uh, I was born in Ghana, West Africa, father's from Ghana, mother's Japanese, grew up in London. And for me, as a young boy, my first memories as a young boy was really two things. I, I always felt a deep desire to to serve people. It was this kind of insatiable drive, you know, but as a young boy, my first memories was literally seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor. She picks up the sand this man walks on. I'm lost in the crowd. And, mm-hmm. you know, for a young kid, this is a pretty moving moment, you know, it just yeah. etched itself in my consciousness. And I saw this crippled woman, she picks up the sand, this man walks and wipes it on her face and stands up. And so week after week, I grew up seeing blind people see, deaf people hear, you know, the same man who sang she picked up would look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, why are you in this wheelchair? Stand up. Mm. You know, you're not sick. Stand up. You know, why do you have these crutches? Tell the crutches, do you believe, right? And you know, the type of stuff you see on television, but it was just my reality. I didn't mm-hmm. talk about how it shaped me. It shaped me in ways that I didn't even know it shaped me because I thought it was normal. But now looking back, I realized how growing up in this, you know, environment, I don't even even know what to call it, this this, yeah. this environment of possibility and, and grace and miracles was just the norm. And, yeah. and so it gave me a profound level of faith and trust in the universe that was kind of a foundation for me. And so this man was my father. My father was a healer. My father was a minister. He had 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa, a huge church in London. And so for me, huh, it wasn't like just one moment, Brian. I mean, age eight, I started speaking in my father's churches. Yeah. Boom. You know, for an eight-year-old kid, this was a huge shaping yeah. moment because it was the first time I had this experience of being thrown on, on stage in front of five, 6,000 people, and I was gone. That was the first moment where something came through me. I dissolved, mm-hmm. and it was like being a channel without even trying. That was a huge moment. At 14. At eight. Yeah. But, you know... It, I can't say it was anything special because I didn't know anything else. You <laughs> it's know, just there what was, happened. It, it was just what was happening. I, yeah. I mean, I thought everyone had this experience, yeah. you know. And one thing that wasn't, you know, when I was 14, I was actually ordained as a minister in my father's church. I was given, the, this really impacted my life. I was given the mandate to take over my father's ministry. I was the guy given the responsibility, the mantle. There were a lot of hopes, dreams expectations on me by literally hundreds of thousands of people. And, you know, I always felt, I knew I wanted to reach people. I knew I wanted to impact people. I became very obsessed at a young age with questions of who am I and why am I here and what's the purpose of life? And, you know, why do people who seem to have everything sometimes seem to be miserable? To be people who seem to have nothing, sometimes they're deeply fulfilled. And 
I just became obsessed with, you know, is life just to wake up, eat, go to work, sleep, have sex, make babies, go on vacation and then die? You know, because I looked around and it just didn't seem, it just felt like yeah. there has to be something yeah. more, you know? And so I started asking these questions, but when I was 14, when it was announced in the congregation by my father that I was going to take over, that was a pivotal moment for me because I knew that this wasn't my path. Mm. I knew without, and it broke my heart because it was announced my heart sank because I knew this wasn't my truth. But honestly, I was too afraid yeah. to, you know, I, I was just a kid that a young boy that, Yes, wanted to serve, but also wanted my father's acceptance profoundly, wanted to be loved by him. And so I was afraid that if I spoke my truth, if I was true to myself, if I dared to listen to my heart, which was guiding me in a slightly different direction, even though I didn't quite know where it was, yeah. that I'd be, I would lose my father's love. I'd be rejected. I'd be outcast. I, I would be abandoned by everyone in the community. And so... You know, as a 14-year-old kid, to feel this inside, this turmoil, man, it was it was intense. And so yeah. it took me four years to just dig deep and muster up the courage. And pivotal for me was when I looked, I was about 18, and I looked into my future. And this was where you could say my life really shifted. And I could see how if I took a left turn, it would have taken, I'd be in a totally different reality right now. But I looked into my future and I saw that I could follow the expected path. I could follow the path that my father wanted for me, the, the society wanted for me. I might be successful by everyone else's standards. But if I didn't have myself, my, my own sanity, I'd be dead. You know, and, and I saw this unknown path, man, this path of like, I'm being guided in this direction. That's not what's expected. I have no idea what this direction is. I have no clue where this path is taking me, but my soul is nudging me in this direction, which is to leave everything behind. And it was terrifying. And that, yeah. I had to converse. The pivotal moment of when I became a man was when I looked into my future and I made a decision that nothing and no one was worth my happiness and freedom. Nothing and no one was worth my peace. Nothing and no one was worth me truly owning my life. And the moment I decided I was willing to kill my father's dreams for my life because I realized, you know, you can't truly live a fulfilled life living someone else's life. You can't truly be happy living for someone else or being someone you're not. And I realized I'm being someone I'm not. And the moment that shifted was when I decided I was willing to face the consequences of my actions and stand on my own two feet, no matter what that mm. meant. Because if I lived a life for someone else, I would always have to live a lie. And I'd always have to live this lie, perpetuate this lie, and my life would be a lie. And I decided I was going to confront my father, speak yeah. the truth to yeah. my father. Yeah, that's a what, what a moment. <laughs> For an 18-year-old kid, honestly, yeah. I was terrified. Yeah. I'm not going to say I was in some level of peace. I was terrified. Yeah. I was shaking. I was confused. I was afraid. Yeah. But there was a deeper nudging in my soul, and I finally had this conversation with my father. You know, yeah. and I said, I love you, but I don't feel called to take over. Yeah. your churches and i thought he was going to scream at me and he just said are you sure and i said yes you know like hesitantly right. uh and i was shaking but that was the moment that i took my balls back you know that was the moment that i felt like was the beginning of me becoming a man and being willing 
to walk the path on my own terms, not anyone else's terms. And uh, it wasn't popular. My father and I didn't speak for two years. Wow. The community and I, we didn't, you know, speak very long, very much. And and I felt profoundly alone. Yeah. But I feel like to become an authentic human being, to become a man, to become who you are, there might be moments where you have to face being alone and burn through the, you must be willing to be alone. And anyway, I could keep going. Well, man, you know, and what really strikes me about your story as well is that feeling that call to have an impact and here your father was handing you 300 churches, you know, a massive platform to have impact. Empire, yep massive platform to have impact what you were called to. And yet, you know, it reminds me of the story of the Buddha of Siddhartha, that great novel by Herman Hesse, that the Buddha Siddhartha, the main, the character, the, the has to walk away from his father's kingdom in order to, and really in, to be alone in the world, to not be surrounded by all of the comfort and luxuries that his father wants for him. Yeah. And he has to leave that and go into the world and find his own way. Yeah. So it's really, really interesting to me. And yeah, how terrifying that moment is for a young man. I had that same moment with my father sort of speaking truth to him. Yeah. And it was something mundane. It was just, I was just, I think I was 17 years old and my father was very much into uh, like conspiracy theories and, and there are UFOs and clouds and things like all that. Maybe, maybe there are, maybe there aren't, I don't know. But I remember once just sort of challenging one of his conspiracy moments with the scientific so-called fact I had just discovered. <laughs> but I was terrified, terrified to cast any doubt on this, this idea he had about it. <laughs> but yet it was so defining. Yeah. It was so profound. And I think that's really, that's a, that's a story for all men that we have to confront our fathers and find our own way in find the world. Our own Find their own path, leave the nest, you know? Absolutely. And I'm, I'm so, you know, and I'm also present too in this day of social media and everybody, there's so much, um, I don't know how many men really will identify with this, but if you're in the kind of work that you and I are in, coaching, influencer, a thought leader in that world, you know, impact. We want to have more followers. We want to have bigger impact. We want more views on our videos. We want, you know, for another man who's not in this space, it might just look like, I want a bigger business. I want a bigger bank account. I want to have, and it's not where it's at in the end. It's also what I'm hearing in your story. Yeah. Look, if you can't be true to yourself, I mean, yes, you might achieve fame, fortune, being someone you're not, but eventually you will feel miserable you know and so for me one of the keys is the willingness to tell the truth Mm. i think this is one of the keys to being an authentic human being i think it's one of the keys to being an authentic man i think it's one of the keys to being happy i think happiness is actually quite simple yeah (laughs) no not always easy not easy not easy but but it's simple it's it's feel the truth acknowledge the truth tell the truth live the truth Look at happy life. And I mean, there's nothing more complicated than that, but because of our conditioning. And so for me, you know, I think there's so many, one of the things that block us as human beings, there's many, but one of the things I think are, are all the ways we, we don't tell ourselves the truth, all the ways we lie to ourselves, bullshit ourselves, rationalize, you know, maybe we're, 
we're working a job that we absolutely hate or we're compromising our integrity. Yeah. But, you know, we we stay in it for some reason and we pays the we bills. Kinda, you know, it pays the bills, but we you know, we're not really honest about the impact it's having on our souls, or maybe we stay in a relationship that we're no longer in love in this relationship, or it's no longer aligned and we're going in different directions and it's we're not a vibrational match anymore, but we're staying in this relationship for some other reason, the children or society or what people think, and it's not truly aligned anymore. And yet we we, we, we lie to ourselves. It's okay. It's not so bad. I'm in love. But deep down, we're afraid. And I think one of the keys to making a shift has to be the willingness to tell yourself the truth. You know, for me, one of the questions I'm always asking people, but always trying to ask myself is what lies am I telling myself? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what lies am I telling myself? What am I pretending to not know? Because we're constantly pretending, you know, what am I afraid will happen if I tell the truth? Many times what we're afraid will happen if we actually speak our truth, live our truth, share yeah. our truth. It's not really close to what actually happens. And so the willingness to feel your truth and live your truth for me, is everything to me it's, it's the ultimate spiritual practice you know it's real real prayer it's real yoga you know so this brings up an interesting question that i run into a lot you know i work with a lot of couples and i think a lot of men will run into this dilemma at least from the mindset that they're functioning in we want to live our truth we want to speak truthfully but then when a man does that it's often hurtful to an intimacy, his partner feels hurt by his truth. What does he do with that? See, I think if you can't be your authentic self in a relationship, then you don't really have a real relationship. And eventually I feel the relationship likely will not truly work. I'm not saying you won't be together for 50 years, but just because you're together doesn't mean it's working, doesn't mean it's vibrant, doesn't mean it's a lot, doesn't mean it's it's truly alive. So I feel like there is feeling your truth, then there is tapping into your heart and your compassion and finding the most loving, responsible, compassionate way to express your truth. So maybe my truth is might trigger the other person in a relationship, might trigger my wife, my, my girlfriend, yeah. my partner, my spouse, whoever I'm speaking the truth with. And so the more we can be responsible for staying connected to our hearts as yeah. we speak the truth, yeah. also being clear on our intention when we speak the truth. Usually when we speak the truth, the intention is not to screw someone up. Usually the intention is because we care about the person, because we want something in the relationship to go deeper or work or because I love you as a human being we're sharing the truth and so i think if we can be clear and communicate being clear on our intention and communicating the intention this is also key but also communicating in a way where you're being responsible for how you feel right this is how i feel and not that it's the way it is not that it's the ultimate reality or ultimate truth of the universe or doesn't mean it's anything about you but this is how i feel I'm hurt. I'm afraid. I'm feeling this way. I'm I'm feeling neglected because everyone has the right to experience what they experience and hopefully move through it, feel through it, evolve through it, transform through it. Maybe they'll, as they work through that and acknowledge what they're feeling, they'll come to a deeper level of truth. But if we're willing to communicate rather than pointing the finger and saying, you make me feel this way, shift it and be responsible to say, 
this is how I'm feeling. I'm feeling a certain way. I'm triggered a certain way. So that's one thing I'll say. Yeah. The other thing I'll say in terms of the dynamic in relationship with men is if you as a man, this is more kind of a man dynamic thing that I've seen, if you as a man deny your truth and don't speak your truth in relationship, in, in this way, with your woman, with your significant other, if you don't, then I have found that even though on the surface it might seem safer or calmer, deep down, <laughs> the feminine or the feminine yeah. will psychically, unconsciously, yeah. intuitively yeah. feel your lack of integrity. You're not truly honoring your, your deepest truth, mm -hmm. even though you're saying what she wants to hear. If yeah. it's not your deepest truth on some level, likely she won't fully trust you and who you really are anyway. And what I found is usually there's a whole nother dynamic of yeah. issue, argument, challenge that ends up coming up that usually is not what it's really about. It's just manifesting over here yeah. when it's really over here That's that, right. yeah. you know, she's feeling you not feeling your truth. And totally. so I think in that level, when you as a man aren't expressing your truth, she won't be able to deeply trust you, even though she's yeah. pacified in the moment. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And I think that's so key what you point out, the difference between your truth and your judgments about other people. Yes. Yeah. You know, staying connected to your feelings, your experience, your own heart. I really Absolutely. love how you language that. Figuring out how to express your truth in a way that is compassionate and loving yes. and connected yeah. and honoring. Yeah. It takes courage to own your truth. But that's courage. That's the real key, is it's your truth. It's not you're just vomiting your judgments about the world on other people. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> you know, and I, and I think when you can express to someone your intent for communicating, what your motivation is, it's like, look, I, I really love you. I really love this connection. I really, I want to be with you. I want this. I want us to go deeper. Yeah. Okay. Then, then many times it, it can, it can create a container for the other person to relax and listen to you in a way that feels safe. Versus, yo, this is just how it is. This is how you are. This is how you make me feel. Or I'm feeling this way. But create the right. container yes. so there's a space that's safe for your partner or another human being to listen to you, I think is also a yeah. profound thing. Oh, man. It's so, you know, I, I tend to process out loud a lot. And when I don't create a container with my partner before I start processing shit out loud, she does not know what the hell's going on. And she, you know, <laughs> like, like she's going to hear things through the filter of kind of that feminine filter of what does this mean for our relationship? Is he going to leave me? Is this going to threaten our connection? Like what yes, the hell is he right, talking right, about? And I'm just, right, I'm just right. processing some shit out loud. I'm not, I'm just right. I'm trying to figure out what the hell I feel and think yeah. and creating that container Either whether that just means, hey, babe, I just gotta, I'm just gonna vent and process something out here. It doesn't mean anything. Just bear with me for a minute. Are you available to just be present with me through this? Right, right. And then she can go, oh, okay, I'll relax. He's gonna say some things. It might scare the shit out of me for a minute, but I know it, it's not a threat to our relationship. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think when you, when I, when we as men dare to be truthful and honest and authentic, then even if it's challenging, I believe the truth serves everyone. The truth yeah. serves everyone yeah. without question, even though if it doesn't seem that way at first. Yeah. And, and so I think when we as men, we as human beings, dare to speak our truth with love, with responsibility, then, you know, as men, <laughs> your woman, your partner will, will 
feel the authenticity of your truth. And if she feels that you will be consistently truthful with her, even though it's not what she wants to hear, then she will know that you're not just going to be catering to her mood or catering to pleasing her. And in that, she will feel a deeper stability within yourself that you won't compromise yourself even for her. Or for anyone else in the world around that might be a threat to her. Or for anyone else. Yes. And she'll trust you more. That's right. As her man. Yeah. As her partner, you know. You probably don't know this because this came out after, like, since you and I lost contact, but I have a book out that's called Tell the Truth, Let the Peace Fall Where It May. Oh, nice. Tell the Truth, Let the Peace Fall Where It May. Nice, nice. Coot, what do you think then? Because I know you did this, uh, I don't know if you're still doing this, the Man Breakthrough Experience? Okay, the Man Breakthrough Experience for women. For women. And, but here's the question I have about that, because I know you were doing these seminars for to really help women have a breakthrough experience around how they experience men in relationship. And, but I want to ask this question. I think the men listening will be fascinated to hear this one too. It might be really helpful for a lot of people. But what do you think women get wrong about men that when they finally understand this can change everything? And I know we men get a lot of shit wrong about women. I know that. (laughs) And we could explore that. But just what do you think women really get wrong about us? I don't think it's one thing, you know, but what I do, I'm going to, I'll take a step back. And what I I feel is relationship ultimately is a mirror. Mm -hmm. Relationship is a mirror. And I feel as though in relationship, you attract to you a mirror manifestation of yourself. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, there is no relationship out there. There is just a relationship in here that's manifesting out there. Mm. And so if you keep attracting a certain dynamic with men uh, as a woman with a man or whatever you know orientation is, but if you keep attracting a certain dynamic, a certain pattern, then I would say look at your relationships and ask yourself, what is this person? What is this showing me about myself? Do I like what I see? You know. And so I think when you're able to really come from that perspective of it's a mirror the man is a mirror then it's not even so much about men it's about myself it's about me it's about who i am so if i keep attracting a man that cheats if i keep attracting a man that isn't committing to me if i keep it and we and we could say well you're getting these things wrong about men but if i keep attracting a man that cheats or man that's that isn't present or a man that is non-committal or every time i get close to a man he he runs away or is afraid of intimacy or i attract no one what is that showing me about myself? Yeah. And I think when you shift that focus, yeah. then it's no longer about oh, what's wrong out here. It's about what do I need to shift in here, heal inside of myself? Yeah. Uh, because men are mirror manifestation of yourself. You know, relationship is a mirror manifestation of yourself. And that shifts the responsibility. And all lessons to me are repeated until learned. And so if we keep yeah. attracting the same dynamics, then I think there's probably some things we need to shift and heal within ourselves. And I, I, I just like to put the focus back on oneself first and foremost, yeah. Because, yeah. because then once you do that, likely you can begin to shift your energy, heal your patterns and begin to attract a different mirror, a different reflection yeah. in the form of the man or the form of the woman that's showing up in your life. Well, I, I love your answer. And I'm going to, I'm going to answer my question based on what you just said. I'm going to frame <laughs> it because what I just heard you say, which I love, and I see it in my own relationship with Sylvie, is 
So what did I ask you? What do women get wrong about us? It's the same thing we get wrong about them. It's that it's not about us <laughs> and it's not about them. <laughs> That's a, you know, like I love that example. And, and just thinking of, you know, uh, for example, a, a, a woman who might say, or a man for that matter, who might say my partner, you know, they don't listen. They don't know how to listen. This man, he never listens. Well, what occurs for me is, well, wow. What is that showing me about, about my, myself? My me really? not listening to me. You're not listening to myself. Yeah. Yeah. Not honoring yeah. what I'm hearing, yes. not honoring the own whispering heart that's saying, go this way. Don't go that way. Go this way. Oh, right. Because right. that is going to show up then in my relationship. Right. They're exactly. going to likewise not listen to me either. It's a mirror manifestation of a part of myself that I need to embrace, heal, shift, transform, acknowledge, pay yeah. attention to. Yeah. You know, there's always something. And so that's yeah. kind of, I think, the, a deeper context. I love that. Yeah. This is a question that I, I really love asking. That's to, I get a lot of interesting answers and I'm curious to hear your take on it, Coot, is what do you think is the biggest challenge facing men today? And what wisdom could you offer in the face of it? The biggest challenge. The biggest right. challenge. The biggest one. Only the, the biggest, biggest one. <laughs> uh, let me see. I don't, I don't know if there's one, just one big one. You know, I, I think we're beginning to have to find our own authentic definition of what it is to be a man. Mm. You know, I, I know for me, I didn't really have a lot of male role models growing up. So that was a challenge you yeah. know, to, to grow up in a world where there weren't a whole lot of male role models. You know, my father wasn't around. He was a sort of typical uh, old school man, mm. not connected to his feelings this is the way it is. This is the way it isn't. It's my way or the highway, long range, a cowboy, a little bit of ego, you know, and just, this is just the way it's going yeah. to be. And so wasn't very emotional or feeling or connected. And, and so for me, it was challenging growing up with it without any authentic role model or vision or version of masculinity, yeah. you know, other than what was presented and conditioned and, and hypnotized to me by television and cowboy movies and you know yeah. films and television is like the long range and this athletes. is the sports athlete this is what a man is and so i think we have to be willing to be courageous to peel away our conditioning and our layers of how we've been conditioned to define ourselves as men and be willing to in this day and age find our own authentic truth and our own authentic nature of who am i really you know who am i as a man really and i, I don't think there's one right way of being a man, you know, other than the willingness to live your truth, which might be different for each man, but the willingness to, in a world that is constantly selling us a bunch of stuff, you know, and conditioning us and hypnotizing us, the willingness to yeah. carve out the time to feel your truth, to be quiet and dig in and live that in a world that is often pressuring us to be someone that we're not, you know, and to be willing to feel deeply as men, to be willing to be authentic, to be willing to be vulnerable, but also live in touch with our truth. So I think that's a challenge in the world today. Yeah. And I think something you said earlier around feeling our discomfort, right? The moment of dissatisfaction. Yeah. I think that's 
one of the great challenges, I think, in, in alignment with what you're speaking, as we are finding our identity, learning to tell the truth in ways that are compassionate and caring and honoring, but still courageously, ferociously truthful yeah. in our own way of experiencing that. You, you know, one, one thing I'll also just add is I think as men, for such a long time, we have been defined by our status defined by success, yes. call it material yes. Yes. success, you know, bank account, achievement, this definition of what success is. Sexual and being, prowess, sexual accomplishments. Yes, being a man is in the world. And, yeah. and I think it's Very a challenge external. because it's, it's so externally driven. Yeah. And so I think as men, I mean, as human beings, but as men, especially we're slightly more egoically conditioned into that, we have to be, I think, willing to strip that definition off and find a deeper definition of success, a yeah. deeper definition. And I, and I think real success is not just what you attain, what you achieve, what you get, what you accomplish, but I think is the process of, of who you become in the process of yeah. life and the pursuit of goals, dreams, and visions itself, the process of one's own evolution. So I think as men redefining success, a whole new redefinition of success to access an evolutionary perspective, you know, of how we're evolving. Because look, I think none of this shit we take with us, you know, no car, no home, no, no orgasm, no clothes, no nothing we take with us other than the evolution of who did I become, you know? And, and so I think it, it takes a lot of courage to also shift one's focus of identity as a man. Yeah, it's really profound. And I know you've, through your travels, through the people that you've worked with, you know, me as well, working with even celebrity clients and seeing people who have everything. And I've experienced it. You've experienced it. You've talked about it, having everything, checking off all the tick boxes and it doesn't fucking work in the end. There's like no place to, I can rest for a minute, but then the satisfaction sets in. Yeah. Look, look, I mean, but you know, just sad, the sad thing is we're so conditioned. And, and so there's only so much we can get and get and get. Look, even Bill Gates, right? I mean, how many pairs of pants can he wear at the same time? You know, uh, Elon Musk, <laughs> yeah. right? Okay, he's an $8 billion man. Yeah. Is he wearing three pairs of underpants? Is he wearing, is he eating <laughs> four lunches? Is he having, I mean, yeah. you know, what more can we do? And so yeah. I think, even he can only drive one Tesla at a time. I love even that. Even he can only yeah. drive, well, maybe he's, maybe he, he might know how to drive two. two. He, he yeah. might know how to drive two simultaneously <laughs> in different dimensions. But he can only sit in one of them at a time. Probably yeah. sit in one of them until he can buy a location, which he's probably figuring out. But at least right, right now, you know, that's right. what's happening. So I think light, the perspective yeah. of life has to move from the pursuit of happiness. Yeah. You know, I think the pursuit of happiness is still identified with the self, the expansion of self. I'm happy because I had this cookie. I'm happy because I achieved that thing. But I think joy, you know, a deep fulfillment, joy is actually the dissolving of self versus the expansion of self. And I think true fulfillment in life shifts. And I think you kind of become a real man when you actually reach the stage when you go beyond yourself Mm. and you start living your life in service to more than yourself. I think until that point when you're just living for yourself and your achievement and your bank account, what have you, and just your selfingness, I kind of think you're just a little boy. 
Yeah. But to become a true man, a real man, an authentic man, that next level, you start feeling beyond yourself mm. to ask, well, how can I really be of service to humanity? How can I be of service to my community? How can I be of service to my planet? How can I be of service to the world? How, yeah. Realizing we're all one and then life starts becoming more about living your purpose to service to something bigger than yourself. Yeah. That's when I feel life really begins. You know, that's when I feel life, yeah. life actually starts. Yeah, it's really profound. You're really speaking to the initiatory moment between adolescence, boyhood, and manhood, where, right, in boyhood, yeah. we're really just concerned with play. We don't take on any responsibility. We're just in, kind of in survival play mode, you know. Yeah, in survival. Under yeah. mama's wing. And manhood is about coming out from underneath mama's wing, even daddy's wing, and really taking our own place in the world and in a way that we are now of service to our community. Yeah. It's no longer just about us. It's no longer just about you. It's yeah. a responsibility. You know, as a boy, we're just sort of, you know, in that puberty mode of what we're driven by is adventure, challenge, conquest, fun. Yeah. You know, given the choice between responsibility and fun, yeah. likely yeah. we're going to choose fun. Even though we know better, you know, everything yeah. is about fun. And we're primarily living for the moment, you know, just whatever happens in the moment. I'm just going to go with the flow in the moment of just how am I feeling in the moment without yeah. so much care about the consequences and yeah. how it impacts other people, how it's impacting generations to come, yeah. how it's impacting communities. It's just about, it's just about me, you know? And so that shift happens. That shift, I think, has to happen. Yeah. Hopefully it happens, you know, through the evolution of one's life as a man. You know, and yeah. uh, I find um, that generally speaking, obviously it's not like this for everybody, but sort of generally speaking, I find that men towards their late 30s, early 40s, this is when we tend to confront the limits of our boyhood, our adolescence. Some men never and some men far earlier, but yeah. generally late 30s, early 40s. And often it's my experience often and it's my experience as a coach, but it's my experience just in my life. Right. Often it's an intimate relationship or series of them that leave me no fucking choice, <laughs> but, to, but to finally grow the fuck up. Yes. Yes. I agree. Coot. All right, man, we're going to switch into now the, the five key takeaways finale. Oh. This has been phenomenal. I'm, I'm just so delighted to have you on here and, and I'd love to have you back again in the future, dive into some other topics. There's just so sure. much that uh, we haven't even begun to explore. So, sure. but here we're going to finish up with the five key takeaways finale. And the purpose of this is to just give our listeners some really specific distinctions and tools and resources that they can just take and run with right when we're sure. right when they, we get off. And by the way, again, listeners, if you're driving or at the gym, you don't have to write this down. Everything will be in the show notes at brianreeves.com. It's Brian with a Y reeves.com slash men this way podcast. Look for the episode with Coot Blackson. Key takeaway number one, which is key insight. What's the one key insight that you would offer our listeners that you believe can make a meaningful impact on their lives because it has in yours? Uh, for me, a key insight is this realization, the acceptance, the acknowledgement, the embrace that you are going to die. Let me repeat that, everyone. This, if you really understand what I'm saying, it will be the most motivational thing you hear today. Mm -hmm. You are going to die. Me, you, Bob Marley, Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali, Jesus, Sai Baba, Buddha, 
I mean, you name it, we will all die. Bill Gates, Oprah, we all have the same amount of time. In one day, we have something like 86,400 seconds. There is no avoiding. The fact is none of us know when that moment will come. And so I would invite everyone listening in to not run from death, but to feel, to feel your death. Feel it close. Invite death to tea. Mm. You know, those people in 9-11 had no idea that they weren't coming home that night. Those people in Texas or Japan in the, in the hurricanes or the tsunamis in Southeast Asia had no idea that they weren't going to come home that night, look their loved ones in the eyes and say, I love you. I'm sorry. And so feel your death. The question isn't whether we're going to die. It's, you know, how am I going to live today? How will I love today? So I would say if there's anything you're holding on to, if there's any resentments, anger, whatever you're holding on to towards someone from the past, from your childhood, forgive, let it go. Nothing is worth your freedom. So for me, one thing I do each day is I, I embrace death. I feel death. I hug death. I make love to death. I, 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 I kiss death, you know, and, and death, she, she inspires me to say, are you ready? Are you ready? And if I, if I say, you know, I'm not quite ready today, I have to really look at myself and go, well, why not? Because the reality is, you know, I mean, we know it, but there's a whole other thing to live it. Every second is so precious and tomorrow is not a right. And so actually meditate and feel your death daily. That's, mm. that's one thing I would say. Oh, man, so beautiful. I get chills hearing that. You know, there are two recurring themes in the boyhood to manhood initiation ritual. One is the ripping away from the mother and the other is the confrontation with death. Mm -hmm. We don't become men until we have confronted our death. Yes. I love that, man. Beautiful. Thank you. The other thing I wanted to just say is just kind of like a bonus takeaway. Okay. Is no one owes you anything, you know, no one owes you anything. And I think. For me, that was a pivotal moment mm-hmm. of shifting. When I first came to the U.S., was outcast by my, my father, community, knowing no one in the U.S., $800 to my name, even less at that moment. I was stealing bread from the grocery store, basically just to mm-hmm. eat, staying in a $250 little apartment on the floor, pulled the mattress in off the floor. And I remember feeling so... I was whining. I remember just whining, feeling like such a victim, like, woe is me, nobody loves me, no one's hit me. And I realized, you know, I had an, I had an epiphany. The, the fact is, no one owes me anything. God doesn't owe me anything. <laughs> Oprah is not going to walk up to my door, knock on my door and say, hey, I've been, I've been looking for you. And so <laughs> if, 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 if you've been waiting for some special moment in the future to give your gift, if you've been waiting for someone else outside the government, you know, uh, your parents or someone to save you, no one is coming. And no one is coming. I know that right now, there's folks, those of you listening in, there are so many gifts that perhaps you have. There's so much talent, creativity, aliveness, things that you have perhaps dreamed of doing that perhaps are on the shelf right now waiting for some special moment. There is no special moment. This is the only time. And if you're waiting for a sign, this podcast right now, or just the fact that you're alive on planet Earth. This is the sign. If you're waiting for a sign, like psychic, you know, give me a sign. This yeah. is the sign mm-hmm. right now. And so I really believe, Ryan, that we're living in intense times, man. Yeah. And, you know, you look at our political climate, you look at our economic climate, we're going through a radical stripping away, falling apart 
purification. And I believe that more than ever, the world needs us. The world needs your yes. gifts, my gifts, and everyone's voice is needed at this time to participate in the evolution of humanity. And it's no longer really a, an option. You know, it's not, yeah. it, it's, it's a must right now. And so, yeah. you know, this is just sort of a, a fierce, urgent call yeah. to those listening in to say, your gifts are needed. There are souls waiting for you right now. As you sit here, there are souls waiting for you as you're stuck at home in fear, as you're wasting time, as you're thinking, as you're doing whatever you're doing. There are people that you can help, you can reach, you can touch, you can inspire, that need to hear your message in only the way you can hear it. So if you're listening to this, share it, give it, live it. So anyway, uh -oh. I know there are some listeners out there right now just whose bodies are vibrating with the Coot Blackson lightning juice. <laughs> they just got struck. I love it, man. Thank you so much. And I know I know we don't have a lot of time left, so I'm actually going to there's two more. I'm going to skip the mentor and the resource and go right to the key investment in the last year. What's the best thing that you spent money on under ten thousand dollars? Wow. Best thing I spent money on. Uh, the, under $10,000, the best thing I have spent money on, you know, one thing I've been doing regularly, I don't know if this, if this will qualify, but I've been doing regularly and I, and I really feel like a difference is I've been doing regular IV treatments, um, mm. vitamin IVs. And so mm -hmm. it's a simple thing because for the body, I believe that investing in one's physical health is a foundation. And so for me, it's non-negotiable. And so the last year, Twice a month, I've been doing these IV treatments. And, you know, I really feel a, a foundational, mm. just a, a being, especially the way I travel, which is crazy, yeah. a foundational level of health that's just helped to the next level. So maybe that qualifies as an investment, but. Oh, uh, investment in your health and your body and your well being. It, it, I mean, it's a simple thing yeah. that, is, that has helped a lot. But, but I'm always a big believer in health as a foundation because if you don't have your health, then. Yeah. You're a mess. You, if you don't have your health, then you can't live your purpose. If you don't have you your health, then, then you can't be present. Life. You can't wake up. You can't. You don't have energy to serve humanity. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I see so many people who just meditate or pray or what have you, and they they have no energy. And so I think we have to work yeah. realizing that energy is is life force. So that's something that's helped. Okay. Final one. Key practice. Please offer one consistent practice spiritual creative personal or relational and you already spoke about you know the feeling your death embracing your death you could kind of dive into that a little bit more or something else but one consistent practice that has served you well and that you challenge our listeners to take on for even just the next seven days look there's several things i do to kind of optimize my life facing my death which i spoke about exercise daily non-negotiable man when i travel Daily, I wake up at 3 a.m. exercise. The discipline has had a huge impact on my life beyond the physical. It's a mental thing. And so that's helped. Exercise, meditation, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get to the key one. Meditation has been really important. Just the connecting to source, connecting to the divine, connecting to beingness has been a daily practice I'd recommend. But I want to just leave people with one practice that I didn't think it was a practice, but it's something I actually do daily, which is a, a process of moment to moment, the best I can, surrender. It's a practice of surrendering. And for me, people often ask me, well, what's been a key to your success? It's been surrendering. What I found is the more I surrender, the more I bring myself into a state of flow. 
the more I surrender, the more I actually get myself out of the way. The more I surrender, the more I let go and the more room there is in my life for the universe to flow. And so my prayer is universe, I let go. Universe, I surrender. Universe, I surrender anything and anyone that is not in alignment for my highest good. I surrender anything and anyone that is not in alignment with my highest good. I surrender, you know, and that this is my, you could say, mm-hmm. my prayer, a, a prayer of surrender. Mm-hmm. And I think many times we want the magic in our life. We want the miracles in our life, but we're busy holding on to all of the stuff that doesn't work. We're busy holding on to all the things, the people, the situations, the relationships that really aren't in alignment with our highest good. And we're saying, universe, when you give me this next level of blessing, then I'm going to let go. But the next level of our lives is really waiting for the next level of our surrender, the next level of our letting go. And I found that by holding on to that which no longer serves you, whether it's a relationship, a situation, whatever it is, by holding on to that which no longer serves you is your affirmation, is your prayer. doesn't matter what you're saying, is your, your visualization. And so by holding on to that which doesn't serve you is your affirmation in the lack of trust in the universe and that is what you are actually co-creating the the very thing you're holding on to and so i think for me constantly surrendering you know many times we have this idea of what we think our life should look like what we think a relationship should look like and we hold on so tightly trying to sometimes force something that isn't to be what we think it should be but forcing something that isn't to be what we think it should be, doesn't make it so. And so I think the real freedom in life happens when we let go, when we dare to let go. And it's when we let go that often I have found in the surrender, life often works out much bigger than I can imagine with my mind. Beyond anything I could visualize with my mind, with my consciousness, anything I could put on a poster board, Life just obliterates that and just says, boom, yeah. here you go. Because when we surrender, we, we open to the universe. We open to the infinite possibilities of the universe. Then we move into an, an infinite game versus a finite game and way of living. And so surrender is key. That's my, that's and my I, I want to add a nuance to that because I can hear, I'm even just, you know, I have an experience right now with my, my dog. We have a dog, two years old puppy. She's not a puppy anymore. And she has anxiety and she has aggressive tendencies. And that causes me a lot of tension. And I've noticed like, there's no getting rid of this dog. I mean, my partner loves this dog. Like this dog is in my life to stay. And, and, and what I experience, you know, the practice of surrender for me, it's surrendering my tension around the experience because mm-hmm. I'm holding on to this tension or like you said, I'm holding on to a story that my life should be different. This dog should be different than it is. Mm-hmm. And you know, like Byron Katie says, you can argue with reality, but you're only going to lose hundred percent of the time. So my practice of surrender, what you're pointing out there, Coot, is at least as regards to this dog is it's really surrendering my attachment to yeah. the dog should be different. Yeah. I mean, all, all that's been really profound. All sorts of suffering, like an equation for suffering is any moment where if you check yourself in any moment, the experience I'm having is not the experience I should be having. Exactly. I should be having some other experience than the experience That's I'm right. having. And so to actually surrender to the experience doesn't mean, well, I'm surrendering to a negative experience and I'm going to stay stuck here. I'm surrendering to an abusive relationship right. and I just have to stay stuck here. To surrender to this is what it is, but it's when you, the only way to change something is to accept something. By accepting it, you bring yourself into relationship with it 
then you can actually harmoniously decide what actions am I going to take? That's right. Totally. And we are taking action to serve this dog and do things, but I can do that from a place of complete tension and resistance and frustration and resentment, which is just going to make the whole process suck. Or I can, again, practice surrendering. Okay, this is how it is. Oh, we're going to spend $4,000 to rehabilitate this dog. Oh, I can feel the <laughs> fucking tension and <laughs> surrender. Okay, it's just energy, money, love, energy, in and uh, out. Right. And it's like it's and, and, so, and surrendering to the lesson, the karma. I don't want you to get too spiritual, yeah. but the karma and the lesson for which the dog and the soul of this dog oh, has yeah. to teach you and your lady because oh. there's something being played. And when you surrender, there's the physical level of this is what's going on. This was going, and then there's a deeper lesson. Wow, this is the curriculum that our souls have agreed to yeah. work out together as a family. And this dog is my Beautiful. teacher in this moment. Then shit, I'm paying four thousand dollars for a seminar, and this dog is my coach. Absolutely, boom. boom, absolutely. This dog has come to show me how to be in partnership with life rather than in resistance to it. And as this a coach, is your guru. This dog is my fucking $4,000 guru. And you just paid $4,000 <laughs> for a coaching session with your dog. And I don't even have to go anywhere. It's all <laughs> done at home. Man, that's so profound. Coot, this has been fun, insightful. I so appreciate your wisdom and your insight. Thank you for sharing your experience. Where can our listeners learn more about you and what you're up to? Sure, sure. If anyone felt uh, inspired by the conversation, by the way, it was just great rapping with you, my friend, and thank connecting and talk. Thank you for having me on. And if anyone feels inspired by the conversation, would love to hear from you, continue more. There's two websites and one other way. One is my website, kublaxon.com, just my name, K-U-T-E-B-L-A-C-K-S-O-N.com. If anyone feels perhaps ready for another level to transform, I do a special event that I'm really passionate about in Bali twice a year www.boundlessblissbali.com you can find out about that and Instagram Facebook social media I'm there would love to connect with anyone just let me know you heard me on this special podcast Coot been an absolute pleasure and an honor man thank you so much thanks for having me thank you so much for listening and thank you again to Coot Blackson find Coot at kootblackson.com k-u-t-e blacksun.com and boundlessbliss.com and also on instagram and facebook of course all these links and resources and coot's five key takeaways will be in the show notes at brianreeves.com slash men this way podcast it's brian with a y reeves.com slash men this way podcast if you were served by this and think others should hear it too Please share this episode or just write a review on your podcast app so that you too can lead more men this way. And don't forget to subscribe yourself while you're at it. I'm your thriving life and relationship coach, Brian Reeves. Until soon, keep your head up, your breath relaxed, and your thoughts inspired.